98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. A ban on gatherings of more than eight people is extended for two more weeks. Carrie Lam says national security laws are needed because many people are living in fear in Hong Kong and the government freezes civil servants' pay. Officials have expressed concern about a COVID-19 cluster linked to a warehouse worker who lives in Chatin as they announced an extension of social distancing measures. A ban on gatherings of more than eight people has been extended for another two weeks until the 18th. Four more people who live in the same public housing block in Chatin as the couple who tested positive last weekend have now been infected, raising the number of cases linked to that cluster to nine. Here's the health chief, Sophia Chan. From the uh, local cluster that uh, that have been developed developed two days ago, so that was something that is not planned. But then we have to deal with it uh, in terms of um, being a public health uh, responsible, you know, public health uh, department. So therefore, uh, we we are looking into and considering uh, the different factors based on public health and uh, not other considerations. Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong's School of Public Health warned of more clusters of COVID-19 infections and said we must not let our guard down. I think we would not be surprised to see similar clusters of infections occurring in the coming weeks. We, we, as we understand it, the virus has not completely left Hong Kong. It's still around, but there are only very, very small number of, of infected people right now. I think do need to be very careful about larger gatherings of people, particularly indoors, bars, maybe restaurants, maybe some other social gatherings, because that's where we've seen larger outbreaks occur in the past, going back to March in Hong Kong. The chief executive says Hong Kong needs needs national security legislation with many people living in fear because of the anti-government protests. Carrie Lam says many law-abiding Hong Kongers are too scared to go on the streets fearing they'll be beaten up or get doxxed online and shops are worried about coming under attack if they voice support for the government. She also says possible sanctions by the United States and other countries on Hong Kong would result in a no-win situation. My stance is to point out to the American government and indeed to other governments should that occasion arise that they will be hurting their own interests in Hong Kong by giving the trade figures which are always to the American favor in terms of the trade surplus they have been enjoying from this bilateral trading goods with Hong Kong. I have pointed out to you that there are over 1,300 American companies in Hong Kong which have been treated in exactly the same way as a local company in assessing the mainland market. The chief executive will be in Beijing tomorrow to reflect her views of the national security legislation to officials there. Civic Party lawmaker Alvin Young urged her to speak up for Hong Kong people. We urge Carrie Lam to be brave and not to forget that she is the chief executive of Hong Kong people. She is paid by Hong Kong taxpayers. Over the past years, it was due to Hong Kong that gave her a career. And so she should be fully responsible and be brave and tell Beijing, look in the eyes of the senior leadership and tell them that Hong Kong people do not want to have this national security law. And not to mention that uh, by passing the legislative council, uh, ignoring the basic law, and one country to system spirit is completely wrong. And so she should be brave enough and tell Beijing leaders that we do not want it. The Executive Council has agreed to a pay freeze for the city's 180,000 civil servants in this financial year. Several civil service groups expressed disappointment, as Priscilla Ng reports. 
Carrie Lam described the current situation in the SAR amid the coronavirus pandemic as almost the most difficult in history. The chief executive said she hopes government staff will be willing to help ride out the difficult times with the people of Hong Kong. Last month, the Pay Trends Survey Committee suggested across-the-board pay rises for civil servants this year of between 1.15 and 1.98 percent. The president of the Chinese Civil Servants Association, Li Kuan, Yin said she is disappointed with the pay freeze, calling it short-sighted. The association had previously suggested that the government freeze the salaries of all civil servants for three years, but pay them back once the economy has recovered. The chairman of the Federation of Civil Service Unions also called the pay freeze disappointing, saying it would hurt staff morale. Lang Chaoting added that it would have a domino effect on the private sector, encouraging them to freeze or even cut employees' salaries. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. A 20-year-old university student has become the first person acquitted of rioting in relation to the anti-extradition protests. The district court ruled that testimony by police officers could not prove him guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Maggie Ho has more. Prosecution said that Lam Ji Ho was seen throwing a brick at officers during clashes between protesters and the police in Wong Tai Sin on National Day last year. At the district court, two police officers testified that their eyes never left the defendant from the moment he threw the brick until he was subdued. They said Mr. Lam stood out from the crowd because he was the only person not wearing a helmet among the protesters. But the defense lawyer argued during the trial that police simply arrested whoever was wearing black and got the wrong person. The lawyer also said the officers' views were blocked momentarily when a fire truck drove by. Delivering his verdict, Judge Shamsil Man said there was chaos everywhere and it would have been difficult for the officers to focus only on one person. The judge also noted prosecution did not provide any photos or videos as evidence. A West Kowloon magistrate has granted an injunction against disclosing the identity of a police officer and his family as an anti-government protester appeared in court today. The officer shot and injured the 21-year-old defendant in Sai Wan Ho last November and the prosecution said his family had repeatedly received death threats. The defendant is charged with attempted robbery, obstructing police and attempting to escape from legal custody. He's been freed on bail and the next hearing will be held at the district court on the 30th of this month. The Council on Smoking and Health says it's disappointed after hopes to pass a government's proposed ban on the sale of e-cigarettes in this LegCo term were dashed. A bills committee vetting the legislation says it will halt its work. The committee's chairman, Kwok Wai Kung of the Federation of Trade Unions, said he's consulted members who agreed there won't be enough time to finish their work before July. The government will consider tabling the bill again in the next LegCo term, with the legislative work starting from scratch. Veteran pollster Robert Chung says he's worried that Hong Kongers are becoming more apathetic about what's happening elsewhere in China. According to the annual June 4th survey conducted by the Public Opinion Research Institute, which he leads, almost 60% of a 1,000 interviewees still support vindicating the 1989 student movement on the mainland. But those who think Hong Kong has the duty to promote democracy in China outnumber those who disagree by 15%. That's a record low. Mr Chung said he understands why people may feel helpless, but warned against pessimism. Once you started to think along this line, 
that uh, things are not happening in a good way, so why bother? Let me care about my own self. So provided I myself live happily, I have enough money, and that's the end of everything. Once you started to think about it, society disintegrates. Because this is exactly what authoritarian regimes want to make it happen, that you don't care about things except yourself, and I'm going to give you what you want, but don't care about others. No, I think this is totally against global values, against the uh, progress of human race. The United States is waking up after a seventh night of angry protests over the police killing of an unarmed black man, George Floyd, in Minnesota last week. They took place despite curfews but were mostly non-violent. Looting and clashes erupted in a number of cities. Two people are said to have been killed in Chicago and there were reports of police officers being wounded in St. Louis and Las Vegas. The protests have divided political opinion, with President Trump saying the demonstrators included domestic terrorists. The BBC's Carolyn Hawley reports. As the protests have escalated, so has the response from Donald Trump, who's declared himself the law and order president. About 16,000 members of the National Guard are already on the streets. Now Mr Trump has said that if cities and states across America don't quell the unrest, he will use the army to, in his words, solve the problem for them. He's provoked further fury by posing at a church near the White House, holding up a Bible, after tear gas was used to clear the way for him to get there. The EU has called for a de-escalation of tensions and warned against excessive use of force. Turning now to COVID-19, Taiwan says plans to issue stimulus coupons for its coronavirus-hit economy could boost consumer spending by 3.3 billion US dollars this year. In the latest move to spur the island's economy, Taipei announced a budget of nearly 1.7 billion US dollars for the coupons as part of a stimulus package worth 35 billion US dollars. The island is expected to record its slowest GDP growth in five years as the pandemic hits its services sector and tourism. Officials in Bangladesh have reported the first COVID-19 death of a Rohingya refugee. The 71-year-old man died on Sunday and officials have since confirmed he was infected with coronavirus. He was living in Kutapalong, the largest of the refugee camps in Bangladesh. Dozens more at the camps have tested positive. Singapore has begun a staged easing of its coronavirus lockdown measures. The city-state had been seen as a model for containing the spread of the virus by taking early action. The BBC's Karishma Vaswani reports. Singapore is slowly easing out of its strict measures, but is doing this in three phases. Phase one sees all school children return to classrooms, but not all at once. The manufacturing and construction sector can also resume operations. By the government's estimates, more than three quarters of the economy will come back online in June. But officials say companies must allow their staff to work from home if they can. If they do go to the office, they have to practice social distancing measures and check in to an online portal, marking their entry and exit so authorities can contact trace them if there's an outbreak. And more restrictions are being lifted in France today as the country continues its exit from coronavirus lockdown. In most of the country, bars and restaurants can reopen and, 100 and a 100-kilometre travel limit has been removed. However, in Paris, which remains under closer surveillance than the rest of the country, certain restrictions remain. The BBC's Hugh Schofield reports. 
For most people, the big change will be the reopening of bars and restaurants. Though the rules now say there has to be a metre between tables, staff must be masked, and you can't stand at the counter to drink. Paris is regarded as a lingering danger spot, and here the loosening of the rules is slower. Only outside terraces can open. Museums and other tourist attractions can also now open in Paris, as in the whole of the country, though in practice it'll be some weeks before many of them do. Sports now. Formula One will finally get underway early next month after it was disrupted by COVID-19. The Austrian Grand Prix, the season-opening double hitter, will be held on July 5th and the 12th. That'll be followed by six other races in Europe over the next couple of months. All of them will be staged without fans. If one is still hopeful of holding 15 to 18 races in total, finishing the season in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi in December. Athletes across the world have been showing support for the ongoing demonstrations against racism and police brutality in the United States. American golfer Tiger Woods is the latest high-profile athlete to speak out since the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police a week ago. Adam Chung reports. Tiger Woods is speaking out for the first time since George Floyd's death, saying his heart goes out to Floyd, his family and everyone who is hurting right now. The 44-year-old golfer broke his silence by posting a statement on his Twitter account. He said, I have always had the utmost respect for our law enforcement. They train so diligently to understand how, when, and where to use force. This shocking tragedy clearly crossed that line. Woods grew up in Southern California, and he said he learned from the 1992 Los Angeles riots that education is the best path forward. Thousands from Southside LA took to the streets in the spring of 92 after an all-white jury acquitted the four white police officers accused of attacking the black driver Rodney King. Wood's statement on Monday comes a day after NBA legend Michael Jordan made his first public remarks on Floyd and the killings of black people at the hands of police. Jordan said, I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence toward people of color in our country. We have had enough. And in the Bundesliga, Timo Werner scored again as Leipzig got past Cologne to keep up the chase on second-placed Borussia Dortmund. Werner's 25th goal of the season helped Leipzig to a 4-2 win. They trailed Dortmund by two points with five matches remaining. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. A ban on gatherings of more than eight people is extended for two more weeks. Carrie Lam says national security laws are needed because many people are living in fear in Hong Kong and the government freezes civil servants' pay. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The government's decided to extend its ban on gatherings of more than eight people for another two weeks and maintain current quarantine requirements on incoming travellers for a longer period as authorities scramble to head off a new cluster of local infections linked to a warehouse worker who lives in Sha Tin. The gathering ban was set to expire on Thursday but will now remain in place until the 18th at the earliest. Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong's School of Public Health told RTHK's Jim Gould this is a very wise move. Right now 
it looks like a small cluster, but we'll know more within the next few days whether it's in fact uh, just part of a larger outbreak. Hopefully not, but I think we would not be surprised to see similar clusters of infections occurring in the coming weeks. We, we, as we understand it, the virus has not completely left Hong Kong. It's still around, but there are only very, very small number of, of infected people right now. Is there anything we need to do especially, uh, given this situation, uh, to keep this particular cluster under control? I think do need to be very careful about larger gatherings of people, particularly indoors, bars, maybe restaurants, maybe some other social gatherings, because that's where we've seen larger outbreaks occur in the past, going back to March in Hong Kong. So keeping the restriction to eight people for uh, uh, gatherings uh, up until the 18th of this month, uh, that's, yeah, re- I mean, that's, that, that's that reasonable? Sense, particularly for indoor, that makes a lot of sense for indoor groups. For outdoors, we really haven't seen a lot of transmission outdoors, so I, I don't know whether it's really necessary to have restriction on gatherings of people outdoors, but indoors, certainly, that, that's a very wise move. Do you think we're doing enough testing? Uh, we can certainly do more. I know that at least one of the most recent cases went to a GP and was not tested in the GP's office, which is an issue because we know there's availability of tests, but maybe it's not always the availability is not always leading to people actually using the tests. Um, you've said before that uh, we won't be able to keep the virus out uh, completely. Uh, we may see uh, clusters arising now and then. So that's what we're seeing now, presumably. Yeah, exactly. And I think we may see other clusters coming up in, in, within the next few weeks, which is, of course, a worry. But um, hopefully there won't be the opportunities for, for widespread transmission and we can keep that at bay for a while. Fingers crossed. But I think maybe some of the public health measures will need to be considered to, to be brought back in again in the coming weeks. But uh, this one is linked to, to this uh, 34-year-old woman who's had no travel history, so that does suggest that um, the virus is uh, spreading uh, silently in the community. Yeah, I think two of the cases were dated back to April, and then perhaps if the links could really be filled in, then what we'd imagine is uh, a few missed cases in earlier April, maybe in earlier in May as well, that connect all those other cases together. Uh, That's certainly a possibility, but I think investigations are still ongoing. So um, let's hope not, but uh, in in a worst-case scenario, uh, do we need to be prepared for uh, distancing measures to be tightened again? Yeah, I think think we'll always need to be prepared that that some of those measures might need to come back again, some of the measures that we put in place uh, going back to the end of March, closure of some facilities, um, really to prevent widespread transmission that would then be much more difficult to get on on top of. We've seen what happened in some large cities in Europe, in New York. We don't want to put ourselves in that position. So I think that's why we need to be very, very careful to keep a, a very close eye on the situation right now. And if it looks like numbers of cases continue to increase, in maybe in, in one or two or three weeks' time, then that would be the, the time to then step in. Several members of the pro-establishment camp have set up a concern group aimed at addressing an increase in youth crime. The group, headed by the DAB's Deputy Secretary-General, Franking Ngan, also consists of parents, teachers and lawyers' representatives. 
They say they're saddened to see a spike in the number of young people engaging in violent acts during anti-government protests over the past year, adding that more must be done to stop them from being misled into breaking the law. DAB legislator Holden Chow, who also attended the press conference, told Priscilla Ng that the younger generation needs to be better protected. All along we have observed that there's a trend that uh, we have increasing number of young age uh, criminals committing crimes and uh, we believe that according to our study we believe that this is something to do with the social unrest last year that has a very important Im- impact upon this matter and we formed this concern group uh, we want to focus on this matter and we urge the government to take appropriate actions to tackle this problem uh, this is done for the safety of the youngsters of our next generation because we want to protect crimes and we want them to care about their own future so uh, the the we launched this uh, concern group to focus on this matter and which the government to take more appropriate actions and formulate appropriate policy uh, to help the youngsters to avoid committing crime what areas or what kind of mm. policies do you think are most needed um, to one of the major uh, suggestion we have given to the government is uh, the government should to tell them the importance of obeying the law and also the consequence of breaching the law. So that is very important. The other thing is uh, we've seen that some teachers um, in the course of their teaching, uh, they probably would teach uh, the students uh, to join unlawful assembly or even breach the law uh, to reach their own objective. Uh, that is totally wrong. So we believe that if the teachers continue to do so, we believe that there should be a complete mechanism to deal with this teacher and make sure that they do not teach students or kids to commit crime to reach their goal. That is wrong. But a lot of youngsters have already said that it's their own critical thinking, it's their own dissatisfaction with the society that they did what they did. Um, what do you have to say about that? Have they really been misled? Well, I believe that many youngsters have that sort of perception or thought are probably misled by a lot of people, including the teachers or including some opposition political figures, because we recall that there are a lawmaker from the Civic Party who claimed that leaving a criminal record would make your life better. Now, this is ridiculous. So I believe that that is one of the reasons that these people are being misled by leaders, by political leaders in the opposition camp, and also the teachers. So um, what we should do is, of course, we should handle these teachers who breach uh, their professional conduct. That's one thing. And the second thing is we should strengthen the education uh, generally on, on the entire society, upon the youngsters, to make sure that they, they know that the consequence of breaching the law. After telling state governors to dominate the protesters or risk looking like a bunch of jerks, President Trump has used a photo opportunity to try to show that he's in charge. Mr Trump threatened to send in the army if local authorities failed to end the widespread unrest sparked by the killing of George Floyd. The president then used police to clear peaceful demonstrators outside the White House so he could walk to a nearby church to be pictured holding a Bible. It prompted his Democratic presidential rival Joe Biden to accuse him of using the American military against the American people. He tear-gassed peaceful protesters and fired rubber bullets for a photo, said Mr Biden. The BBC's Aleem McBull has this report from Washington. What happened in this city last night was a total disgrace. As we speak, 
I am dispatching thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, military personnel, and law enforcement officers. And he did. In the warm early evening, the streets of the American capital were filled with huge numbers of security forces that dispersed what had all day been peaceful protesters in the shadow of the White House. Sound bombs and rubber bullets were fired and tear gas was hissing all around. The officers repeatedly charged the demonstrators. We saw one young protester who'd come out to mark a week since George Floyd's brutal death, clearly shell-shocked. I feel like I'm not even feeling one-eighth of what black people feel every single day, and I'm terrified. There was a new chant directed at the president, but he was planning a photo op. The protests of recent days happened close to the historic St. John's Church beside the White House. It was from here that security forces most heavy-handedly removed protesters. After it was cleared and secured, the president suddenly appeared at the church with the cameras, presumably to show he wasn't afraid to leave the White House. There he posed awkwardly with a Bible. Let me be clear, the president just used a Bible and one of the churches of my diocese without permission as a backdrop for a message antithetical to the teachings of Jesus and everything that our churches stand for. The Right Reverend Marion Budd, the Episcopal Bishop of Washington, quickly told CNN how angry she was. He sanctioned the use of tear gas by police officers in riot gear to clear the churchyard. I am... Outraged. And leading Democrats have called it shameful to call out the American military to confront American citizens. It did stop the widespread chaos there's been in Washington in recent nights and has been popular with many of the president's supporters, but it infringed on freedoms of speech and expression and, of course, didn't deal with the underlying issue at hand. Much of the music industry across the world is showing its support today for the protests over the death of George Floyd by observing a shutdown. Artists, record labels and radio stations have vowed to observe a day-long blackout. The BBC's Chichi Izundu reports. It's called Blackout Tuesday. Hundreds of record labels and artists around the world have cancelled their work plans for today to join in with their own protest. Yeah, I needed a change. Rapper Tiny Temper's label, Disturbing London, is also taking part. Dumio Barata is his manager and the CEO and says things need to change. We got into that industry, you realise how whitewashed the industry really is and it's not very reflective of what the real world looks like or who's really consuming the music or who's really contributing to making the music and making the industry tick, you know. So this is what's happening. This is not the world I want to be in and I'm going to try to make a contribution to change. Racism is happening all around us, so take a stand. If you are white and you're listening to this right now, 
this is your problem too. It's mine. It's yours. It's everybody's. It's uncomfortable to listen to, but we should feel uncomfortable about it. The words of Radio 1's breakfast show presenter yesterday. With but today, a number of BBC radio stations are also marking the event. Whilst the music industry goes quiet in protest, the sound of those taking to the streets in the UK is expected to rise. An Australian policeman has been placed on restricted duties after being filmed tripping up an ab Aboriginal boy who was then pinned to the ground. The video shows the New South Wales police officer and two colleagues holding the boy down. Police said its professional standards unit would investigate. Anna-Marie Evans asked our Australian correspondent Jerry Gannon how people there have been reacting to the case. It's pretty mixed, uh, to be honest with you. Um, uh, the incident itself looks to have been more of an accident, if you like, the way that the officer uh, tripped the the young fella. I, uh, judging by the video, I don't think the officer was expecting the young fella to hit the ground as hard. The thing is, leading up to it, apparently, this young fella had been quite uh, cheeky towards the officer, and I think the officer lost his cool. He shouldn't. He's trained not to do something like that, but he did seem to lose his cool. But the reaction's been pretty mixed uh, overall from what I've seen on, on, on Twitter, for instance. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty much divided. The thing about these sort of incidents, and it's similar to the one in America, there are incidents like this that happen every day of the week, except there are no cameras around. And when there is a camera around, it becomes a heightened issue. And I suspect that the incidents like these are happening all the time in every police force all over the world. It's just that they come to our attention when there is a camera uh, watching them. I'm not saying it's forgivable. It isn't. Nobody, no police officer should ever act like that. They should be trained to um, be to disarm a, a potential uh, uh, offender in a, in, a, in a different way. But um, um, I think it's, it's the, the attention that it's getting now that's causing the controversy. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to Absolutely. Moments to remember. Your host, Ray Codero. Yes, Ray Codero. From now until 1 a.m.
That was the beautiful Shuba Serenade, played by Liberace. Very well played. Welcome to an evening with Perry Como. Some enchanted evening You may see a stranger You may see a stranger Across a crowded room And somehow you know Somewhere you'll see her again and again. Some enchanted evening, someone may be laughing. 